0: i oh. oh. Work. I know we can make it if we try gosh i know we can, can, yes we can gosh, make it I all we can, I know we oh. can.
1: Gene Nathan, it's Crosstown Conversations. And we made it through Mardi Gras despite all of the uh, storm and drang that we've been going through in town about this and that. Let's leave it at that. Um, But what was utterly amazing to me, and the only way I knew it before we talked briefly on the stats was that I could never get um, a phone connection. And I and, and several of us in our at our table when we were working, we're trying to figure out what's going on. We can't we can't make a call. We can't get complete calls. What's that? And it, I said, oh, I know exactly what it is. It's about 50,000 extra people in town at least. And sure enough, it sounds like that was the case. So tell me about it.
2: Yeah. Gene, you know, as we have done a postmortem on um, the overall Mardi Gras season, we are saying by most accounts this was tremendously successful. Uh, when you think about where we've come from since that 2019 benchmark that we're all using now, and even into 2020, you know Mardi Gras 2020 was was pretty good. It was only a week or two after that that we started closing everything down. Um, and besides the the exception of one high, highly visible, unfortunate event, and we of course our thoughts and prayers go to those victims of that event. Um, Our law enforcement was there, they did what was needed to do, they apprehended that person. And the work that our uh, criminal justice system did to bring more than 200 other law enforcement individuals from around the region to New Orleans to help us put on this uh, event, this world-class event, speaks well about the organization of our community when it comes to hosting these large events. Uh, As we said, the occupancy rate was pretty darn good when you consider we're only a year or two out of the worst of COVID. We were up into the 90% occupancy through the weekend. Uh, That's that, amazing. That, exactly, that um, that rates very well with 19 and 20 uh, and even last year. So uh, we, we feel pretty good about what happened. And look, sanitation department, once again, they clean the streets every night. Uh, after the parades roll, and sometimes they're working until dawn or sunrise. Uh, We had international media in uh, uh, to reach our French and German audiences, which is so important to get our international market back uh, into where it was prior to COVID. Uh, So, yeah, we feel really good about this uh, these past uh, several weeks.
1: So tell me um, a little bit about the experience that your international visitors had and the media And um, what you think they took away from this, obviously, some of what you just said, the fact that we can, you know, we we can still handle a huge, it's an international event, um, uh, despite, uh, you know, having gone through a a pandemic for New Orleans was especially bad because we are um, so, uh, our our economy is so based on tourism. So it was particularly um, impactful here for us. Um, yet, uh, it didn't seem to dissuade, uh, folks and, and all of our, our, I'm, I'm so sick of our headlines. I mean, I, I could barely watch the local news because there's so many important and interesting things going on in the town, uh, uh, economically, educationally, and, uh, and culturally, and, and you don't see nearly as much coverage of that as you see of this shooting on that's, st- you know, I hate it, especially on the weekends when I have to listen to shootings coming in from parishes around the state. When I know when I used to do the weekend news, I covered culture on the weekends. Yeah. That was my great opportunity to get in softer news that, you know, was not the headlines instead of covering yeah. kind of, uh, accidents on the I 10. Well, you know, Gene,
2: beginning really at the first of the year when we had uh, the Miss Universe pageant uh, come into the city and we had representatives from uh, 85 nations who were the delegates or competitors, and they were all speaking to their audiences worldwide. That was our ability to start messaging back out to the world that New Orleans uh, is open for business, so to speak. Uh, We really need to reach back out to those international uh, communities. And the night of the event, 165 nations had tuned in to see all good things about our culture. And those stories continue. Each of those delegates have social media followers that, uh, you know, we would we would just love to have. The, the Miss Universe last year from India has 5 million followers. She spent two weeks here prior to the uh, event where she was going to relinquish her crown going all over the place from Children's Hospital to Saffron on Magazine Street. Uh, she was tweeting and Instagramming uh, how wonderful New Orleans is. So uh, that was important. And Then again, we had international journalists. Yeah,
1: I, you know, I didn't international, that journalists about that, yeah.
2: international journalists came here from Mardi Gras, and we were able to showcase our traditions. Uh, several of those traditions, of course, emanate back from uh, uh, from the European uh, countries, uh, and so they saw this this come alive. But again, once again, as you know, neighborhoods come together. I wrote on Mardi Gras day. I saw the friendliest, happiest crowds I have ever seen, and, and
1: huge
2: and huge. And the course, picture,
1: the, the picture of crowds weather on canal street oh my god
2: yeah and again we all know it's a it's a year-round uh program mardi gras just doesn't end and then pick up next january um these floats and these organizations the day after mardi gras ends uh, they start all over again and that's a, a critical piece of our economy because that's jobs those are people who are taking their artistry and bringing it to bear as we all know the the black masking indians the mardi gras indians They're sewing their suits year round Um, floats are being decorated now, as we speak for next year. I mean, it's it's a major piece of our our community.
1: So it's kind of a a pinnacle of our cultural um, capacity, too. I don't know if you saw my last newsletter, but I wrote a whole story about the carnival of creativity. And uh, the beautiful thing about um, our um, uh, whole carnival season is that it's an opportunity for every single individual in the city to get out on the street in some crazy costume that represents their fantasy and their ideas and their uh, imagination and creativity. So uh, it, it's it's a creative explosion that happens oh, yes. and and reflects kind of the 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 creative spirit that we live with year round but that gets expressed um out on the streets in uh everything i had a wonderful experience that i can't help but share with you and i don't remember whether i already talked about this on last week's last week i didn't have a show it was wendell's week so wendell pierce's week so um i probably didn't say this on the air yet but um so uh i'm coming home from the hospital from seeing tannin who came home literally the day before Mardi but he was still in the hospital on Friday. And I'm saying, hmm, you know, um, Crudevu is passing right now. And and Crudevu is actually the long-term manifestation of the original crew of clones parade that we started at the Contemporary Arts Center. So I kind of had a yearning to see it. I said, you know what, let me just drive further down. Let me pass my house. And, and drive further down Esplanade get a little closer to see how close I can get what, what, what the heck so I, I did and of course I had to turn off at a certain point and go over to Elysian Fields I get to Elysian Fields and there's a barrier the only thing about the barrier is it was open so I said well you know there's no barrier if it's open it's not a barrier so I drive in I get right up to the crowd and the parade and a cop comes up and says Lady, what are you doing here? You can't come in here. There's a blockade. I said, um, no, there was no blockade. If there was, it was open. I don't know. So I yeah. came in. He said, you can't stay here. And then he walks off. Um, behind hit me comes an ambulance. And I said, OK, cool. I can't get out of here now. Another cop comes up and says, lady, what are you doing here? You can't be in here. There's a blockade. I said, um, no, there was no blockade. And and he, I said look I'm only going to be here for a few minutes so let me just go enjoy the parade okay he says ah go ahead because he's looking me. There's <laughs> an ambulance I can't get out anyway so I got to see crew de just because you know like everybody else in New Orleans I took that risk and right I just, oh let me just drop well, down you able to see Jan Ramsey out.
2: as the uh, as the Grand Marshal Jan Ramsey. What? Jan Ramsey was the grand marshal. Yes,
1: I know. I, yeah. was, I yeah. was happy to see her honored. I really yeah. was. because She's had a rough, a rough time and she's done a lot. Uh, yes, she know. has. I, her I publication knew her has been very important for us. We
2: went to the University of New Orleans together.
1: Is that right? At yes. the same time? You were there yes. at the same time? What yeah, we was Jan in the- like in college? And I have to ask, what was Mark like?
2: Jan was Jan yeah. Ramsey. She was, it's always been Jan Ramsey. And uh, mm-hmm. this was the hotel restaurant and tourism school at the University of New Orleans. I had darker hair. <laughs> yeah, you know, Gene. I also want to mention something that that was the first ever um, partnership, and that was our recycling efforts for Mardi Gras. Um, it was important that we step up and do something as an industry, and we joined with the city uh, and some other groups to uh, collect over fourteen hundred pounds of aluminum, uh, which is about fifty thousand cans. Now, that's amazing. We also picked up about 1,500 pounds of glass and almost 12,000 pounds of Mardi Gras beads and throws. Um, It engaged a lot of volunteers. Um, We hope that we were visible enough and we see that this will start up uh, an annual thing. Uh, So it's a sustainable and innovative effort, I think, that the the hospitality industry believes in. And, And that will extend into our operations at the hotels and restaurants. Uh, being more environmentally friendly with everything that we do. So we we were excited about that. And I think um, um, uh, in our office, Kevin Ferguson and his team in the external affairs department pulled it together and we'll be back again next year, helping uh, do that.
1: So um, I have a suggestion uh, uh, for how to um, uh, enhance your effort at uh, at, at getting rid of um, being more sustainable, bring back check beads.
2: Yeah, oh, and Rex threw glass beads this year. Did I mean, they? Yes.
1: Oh, my God, yes. and this is the first year I haven't seen Rex in years because I couldn't they, leave my porch. We had,
2: we had aluminum uh, cups. We were, we were trying to minimize the amount of plastic cups, you know, the go cups that people like. We, we were throwing aluminum cups in the uh, purple, green, and gold colors. Beautiful. I'll make sure I get you a set of those. Please. And glass beads. Um <laughs> which obviously, like you just said, back when we were growing up, that was like the...
1: You don't, you, know, you don't throw those out.
2: Those were the only beads they threw back in the old days. I know. Yeah, it's fantastic. I know. And so, uh, oh, what's and interesting
1: all, about what's interesting about Czech beads is a lot of people don't realize that this, but they're they're based on this idea of millefiori, which is a technique of of swirling colors in glass, and it's really related to Venetian glass and a lot of crystal work by companies like Swarovski. Swarovski is, is comes off as an Austrian company, but it's really Czech-based, the people who is it really?
2: Because uh, I visited their, their factory in Innsbruck uh, when I was there for yeah, the- Yeah, but
1: they, the company, the, the family that started it is from Czechoslovakia. And of course, I I'm totally know. prejudiced because I am Czech. So I, mean, I went yep. to visit a, a factory uh, in a in, in northern part of Czechoslovakia where they make uh, glass beads to this day. And it was fascinating to see that. And you know what they do there that I think is really interesting and something we, we should really think about? They invite artists to take a, a little bit of real estate in their factories and create new work in the factory, which they then put on exhibit and sell. Um, and I love that idea. And I think that's something we, we should really think about. How can we do something similar here? Because we do have a lot of glassmakers in town, people like, you know, Mitch uh, uh, Godet. And, uh, Mitchell uh, you know,
2: that would be an interesting uh, program to get UNO behind because they're at Innsbruck every summer and that we could do an exchange right. program with them. Um, I
1: went on that trip. Did you go? I can't remember I went, when, I, we, when, when I was at March.
2: Anniversary. In 2015, I went on the 40th yeah. anniversary. And interesting, Gene, yeah. was that it was during the time that we were there. David came with me that the Supreme Court passed the uh, Oberfeld, um law, uh, uh, equal marriage, and uh, we, we celebrated in Innsbruck.
1: Oh, I love that. So <laughs> I took advantage of being there to, to take a, a little side trip to Czechoslovakia. Um, to a town called Koshitsa, which is um, kind of like, I don't know, maybe a Baton Rouge, not a capital, but the capital of a province and near closest to where my mother's family lived and discovered at that place that a teenage boy, this is one of my favorite stories, a teenage boy um, was the son of one of the women working in the hotel that I stayed in. And she said, you know, you have to talk to my son because he's crazy about New Orleans. And I'm saying, what? So sure enough, I meet him and uh, he could sing all the New Orleans songs. And he was just absolutely thrilled to meet somebody from New Orleans. And then we used him as our translator for the rest of our trip. <clears throat> My mother speaks Czech. So, I mean, she was doing just fine, but she couldn't have really translated. And he traveled with us. And I mean, he just couldn't stop talking about New Orleans. And that's when I realized that the expression, oh, New Orleans is universal.
2: Yes. Well, we like to I'm think, it as well, uh, we have touched so many lives in so many countries. And um, as of January the 13th, when our 14th, when the Miss Universe pageant was here, it was 85 more countries who many of those ladies had never been to the United States before in their first experience in the United States.
1: Was in New Orleans? Orleans. And they, <laughs> what a worked, what a work vision of the country. They I, have go to
2: some other cities, which I won't mention. They're going to go, what?
1: <laughs> what happened? <laughs> right. Where, so where, uh, where do we go from here? So uh, this was a very uh, uh, somewhat surprising. Maybe you guys weren't surprised, but I, I, I've i got to assume that some folks in the city who have been kind of beating um, a few dead horses here and, and kind of torturing us with their um, uh, vision of a city that's in trouble when really we are just um, recreating a new era. Uh, That's how I view what's going on post-pandemic is uh, another kind of change point in in life. And uh, I think that we're just gonna come out of this in an amazing new place i think what so you know, hear you can... from your journalists and your people and 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 how are you going to build on what you uh what they experienced
2: well obviously we're our own worst critics and and that emanates into all of the own uh, the own ways that our own citizens speak about the the travel the, the travails and the ills that we have here in the city but the glass is, is half empty for a lot of folks but we're always going to come to you with the glass half full because there's so much positivity there's so much investment happening. I find Mardi Gras was a great example of the enthusiasm that we have at the grassroots level. Um, and and that hopefully that emanates throughout this rest of the year. We have a lot of work to do. Uh, it's not a very strong year from a standpoint of conventions and associations, which are so important to the economy because they, they come in and they touch everything. They touch AV, they touch florists, they touch caterers, they touch hotels, restaurants, attractions. Um, so we're pushing really hard with our convention sales group to bring corporate meetings and, and other associations here. Leisure it, it, leisure is successful in the backs of all the festivals, right? We have, what, more than 100 permitted festivals on the calendar, 100 now, and that's amazing. <laughs> Think about it, 52 weeks out of the year, over 100 festivals, that's two festivals a weekend on average. Uh, but that's so important too, because what do they do? They they hire the musicians, they hire the artists, they hire the, the craftsmen, They the staging, all the production that goes along with that. Uh, and of course, there are a lot of nonprofits that connect themselves with festivals, and they receive a lot of their support through these festivals. Hogs for the Cause is a great example of an organization that built uh, something around uh, childhood brain cancer. And and now it's it's nationally known. They bring in people to cook from around the country for their competition, uh, and they've built uh, a home for Families on the campus of Children's Hospital, and they're doing more work like that. So uh, we we feel very positive, and uh, we're we're going to keep being the, the the positive ones in the crowd.
1: Nola by Nola is that going to continue?
2: Nola by Nola is coming back. Uh, Sig uh, and his team from uh, thirty ninety by thirty ninety. We've partnered with them to produce what we believe is one of the few, if not only. Festivals in the nation of venue cl- of venues and clubs. So we've got almost fifty uh, ven- venues and clubs that participate over a two week period, bringing in wow. music acts. A lot of those uh, local acts that are hired, and it's getting people to come into town, including our own citizens, to get out to the music clubs and enjoy uh, the the great music, all the various subgenres of music that have come out of the city. Uh, so we're, yes, it'll be back uh, last week in September, first weekend in October, the first week in October.
1: i um I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we we'll see a, a growth in all of those um, areas, of course, too. Um, what about the um, holidays coming up next year? any well, let me put it this way. Is there any kind of new scheme, new idea, new plan that's emerging that, um, it would be fun to share with the audience even if we could we could tease out the fact
2: that because NOLA by NOLA is occurring that last week in September first week in October and there's a major music conference occurring at the last part of October we're going to work with uh with the music industry here to really kind of put October on the map as sort of music month even though you could say New Orleans is music year but we're going to concentrate a lot of our Social media and editorial around the great music of New Orleans, and use October as a as a time to highlight it even more than we we do, and we do it a lot right now. Uh, so be uh, be ready for some of that. We are partnering with um, uh, the Disney folks. We continue working with them. Uh, you know they they shot Haunted Mansion here last year. That's that should be coming out uh, sometime this year. There's a new trailer out on that today. Um, I think that speaks to. Us being able to talk through New Orleans as a family destination, you know that New Orleans is for years has been known as the Big Easy, and of course mm-hmm. you think immediately Bourbon Street, which is a great street, but we also know that there's so many assets here that families can utilize to uh, fa- plan a family vacation, whether it's the historic streetcar or the beautiful parks and gardens or the museums, or the, even bringing your kids to have a beignet eating contest. where, you know when I was a child. Eating a beignet was the most fun thing you could do on a weekend morning, particularly on a Sunday, because you could throw the sugar on your sister. Um, <laughs> or just sitting at the, you know, at, at the moonwalk and watching the the ships go by, or taking a uh, okay. pound wheel. So yeah. we're going to be well, speaking- New Orleans as a summer family destination.
1: Yeah. But speaking of the the river, I just want to um, say the next time we talk, I, I want to talk a little further and deeper with you about some of the real estate developments that are in play, um, that are significant, that cover a large territory, and which I'm not sure that I see as much of a commitment to cultural programming in those spaces as would be advantageous for the city. So you've got great riverfront development going on uptown in New Orleans around the power plant. Um, You have developments very slowly coming back to the Ford plant location in Araby, um, that got sort of stalled a bit by uh, COVID, but it's going to happen. It's going to take some time. Um, so these are major, major real estate footprints that I'm not sure there's enough of a, um, uh, a commitment to the cultural assets that could be developed in them.
2: Well, your is voice is important. On your
1: radar screen?
2: Yeah, let's let's talk more about that. And I'd like to get Walt Leger with you as well, our new president yeah. CEO Um he certainly has has come on board. Um, he succeeded um, Stephen Perry, and Waltz brought yeah. uh, some great energy, um, uh, a lot of uh, new ideas, and I think he'd be a, a great proponent of making sure that our our cultural assets are represented appropriately.
1: Right, and um, and also the other thing that uh, um, I think is is a tremendous opportunity is again the river. We we I, I assume and hope. <laughs> that's going to be an increase in looking at how to uh, move on the river front from uh, point to point in the city. This is something when I worked in lower Manhattan uh, and we had the ferries that serviced uh, people who worked in the financial district and were ferrying over to Jersey or out to Brooklyn, um, we, we looked at how can we use these buses during the off hours. And I think that um, trying to get people more into the uh, neighborhoods around the city and uh, working with the um, the transit system to use our buses during the off hours. This is something I've yeah. nursed this idea for a while and not been able to really get it off the ground. I'd love to talk to you and Walt about that
2: too. Good, and also speaking of just riverfront development, as you know, the aquarium will reopen uh, in June. Uh, okay. uh, a new entrance, uh, a renovation that will really raise it to the next level. And if you've been down to the riverfront next to Spanish Plaza, it's now a contiguous uh connection between Waldenburg park the aquarium and spanish plaza you don't have that blockage anymore so that is now a, a beautiful walkway And as you and i will work together at the world's fair it's so important yeah. that the speaking
1: world's of the
2: world's fair. fair yeah 40th year coming up yes right. yes so we need to be planning that i spoke with uh peter spurny and he's very engaged he'd like to be involved in cool. something and uh, coming down and, and maybe doing some panel work and Discussions. Maybe we'd work with you in the Historic New Orleans Collection and um, talk about the fulfillment of a long dream that that was for many people and what it's done to the city
1: and yeah, for the city. Great. State. Look forward to it. Mark, as always, love talking with you. And um, we're due for uh, a little Santa bit Bay. of... Um,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm ready. Eating uh, on the
1: avenue. All right. Always
2: a pleasure. Take care.
1: Thank you very much. Take
3: care. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye.
1: I'm excited about this. I can't no, think of anybody that it would be more exciting to present to represent than Josephine Baker. Lucky, lucky you.
4: I <laughs> cannot wait. Oh, wow. <laughs> A lot of work. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. But what an exciting person <laughs> to live with for I guess I started Six months ago, with memorizing the script and the songs and all, but what what an incredible woman to to have in your life, constantly. Really? Right.
1: Well, let's uh, introduce everybody. Let's first of all introduce you. Um, tell us. Uh, give me a little sort of description um, of yourself. Um, yeah. So my name, name is Ana- for me Anais.
4: Anais. Anais. St. John, John, and I am a jazz singer here in New Orleans. I'm also mm-hmm. a music teacher at Trinity Episcopal School.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I was born and raised here in New Orleans and have made quite a career of singing around town, mostly in hotels and- um, I uh, see your name a lot. festivals and parties. and But I do, my, my special thing that I love doing are these one-woman cabaret shows um particularly about the lives of uh phenomenal women and um I've done a few of those and I'm ready to present my newest one Josephine Baker
1: how how did this uh, well first of all before we go any further uh, tell us the where when it's the
4: it uh, yes. it. yeah so uh the show is called Josephine Baker from Creole um um, Goddess to Siren of a Resistance. It's going to be uh, at the World War II Museum. And it's premiering, opening on Friday, March 24th. There's a 7 p.m. show. Uh, Saturday, March 25th, 2 p.m. show. Sunday, March 26th, 2 p.m. And then the following weekend, uh, Friday, the 31st of March at 7, Saturday, April 1st at 7, and then Sunday, it closes where, Sunday, April 2nd, with a 2 p.m. matinee.
1: So I think we better give everybody a website because no one's going to remember all of
4: them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, you can go to, uh, let's see, World War II Museum. Their website is www.nationalworldwar2, the 2 museumorg Hold on a second. National World... Or, National WW2 yeah. Oh, okay, I see.
1: Okay, now, how did this come about? How you know? I, I hear that you have um, a, a definite sort of uh, creative path for doing these kind of presentations. Um, Yet it still takes, as you said, a lot of work to make it happen. So tell me about that work and uh, explain when know, I, what I came to be.
4: When I initially started doing cabaret shows, I would write the script myself and put it together and put the songs together. And um, I eventually decided that it would be a good idea to have someone else write a script. Um Especially when I started talking to my dear friend and former colleague uh, Denise Altabello. Denise and I worked together uh, when she was teaching at Trinity Episcopal, and she's a writer. And um, um, I've worked with her. I worked with her on a couple of her projects um, here in New Orleans, where she would write stories about the various neighborhoods, and I would sing some songs for those um projects so we were just talking one day and we we were talking about her interest in um uh Lulu White and asked if she asked if I knew who she was and I didn't and she told me about how wonderful it would be for someone to bring her story to life because I think a lot of people really didn't know or don't know who she was as a as a businesswoman as a, a madam of the most successful brother. so I said well why don't you write me a script and we'll do a show together and it, we did and um, I got Harry Marone my dear friend and accomplished pianist to um, do the musical direction and I chose the songs and we did Little White Queen of Storyville for um, several several times once during the show with with J.P.A.S. and then again we did it at Jazz Fest and at Tennessee Williams Fest so it became a pretty big successful show um time has passed time did pass COVID hit and as we all had time to do was to think about what we're going to do next um having that time and I remember calling her one night and saying you know I think we should do a new show um and she suggested Josephine Baker and I said that's it (laughs) let's do it and then I kind of forgot about it um sometimes you 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 know, you talk a big talk and then you, you let it go. And, uh, I think about a year later, I contacted her. I said, you know, I, I think I'm really, really ready. Can we start work on this show? And she said, oh, great. Because I'd already, I already have the script completed. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, so you I'm really doing this. Right. So that was it. I mean, once, once she sent me the wow. script, it. it was, um, it, it's, it, it just, she, her writing is so, so beautiful. And, and, and I got to know Josephine Baker in a way that I didn't know. Um even after doing research, it's just the way it's her stories presented in, in Denise Artobello's beautiful writing that, that catches. And I I to myself, I was like, this is this is a show unlike any other show I've done. I've done shows on Earth the Kid and Donna Summer and Tina Tina Turner. But to do a show on Josephine Baker really felt I felt an importance to be able to tell her story. The importance of making sure that um, that we're educating people about this phenomenal woman. Um, I think a lot of people out there don't know all of the details about her incredible career and her incredible service to um, to France, and also her our, our, the work she did with the civil rights movement and all. It's just there's so many interesting stories to it. Yeah, you know, and you know it's just it's. I, I do feel a sense of importance uh, for this particular show to to educate people about her.
1: So uh, you said that. Uh, hold on a second.
3: That's
1: I I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, that's him. Hold on a second. Let me just pause my uh, uh, just a second. So uh, all of the characters that um, one might represent who are leaders in entertainment and other fields who are women have had uh, a life of, of challenges and struggle. I recently interviewed Dee Dee Bridgewater, who I'm sure you know, and Dee yes. Dee talks uh, a lot about the challenges that women have had in the music industry, which is a very um, macho dominated industry as most are actually, I'm not sure that that's, uh, any, uh, worse than, than, uh, others, but, um, so, um, in, in, in differentiating her, however, from the others, uh, you, you, you seem to imply that she's of particular interest partially, as you said, because of the layers. But but tell us a little bit more about why she's so special. And you mentioned JPAS before, and I just want to tell people, Jefferson Parish Arts Society, right? Jefferson okay.
4: Performing Arts Society, correct.
1: Go. Tell, so tell me about your so, choice. Uh, why Josephine is so particularly important. Well,
4: one of the things that is similar is that, you know, of. of all of these women growing up in um, a, with a childhood of poverty, and growing up with uh, struggles with um, discovering who they were and, and insecurities. But what puts uh, Josephine, um, what makes her different, is that I mean, her life was threatened. She was poisoned um, by the leader of one of the leaders of the Nazis, and she was she put her life in danger to, to, uh, to stand up for her beliefs. Um, so we're, we're talking about someone who, who was not just struggling in a personal sense of trying to make it in a career struggling, you know, in poverty, but we're talking about someone who risked their life to, 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 for the good of others. I mean, that's, that's next level to me when, um, you're, Putting yourself a in a line, fun.
1: Um, and as an entertainer, she was again. Um, hold on a second, I'm so sorry. Um, so, as an entertainer, um, she she was so um, multi talented. Um, it, it, it wasn't a straight line. It wasn't um, just singing pop, just singing jazz, dance. Theatrical presentations, costuming—you um, could
4: you could probably add to it. Absolutely, I mean, you know, she started off on Broadway, but as a chorus girl, um, and she was not really um, her her style of dancing was um, uh, basically almost like like something you would learn on the street. It was a come on a
1: second. I'm so sorry. It's still on. Oh, I'm sorry. It was in progress um my answer will be okay so you just pick up with your answer I mean so she, okay
4: she was um you know she started off on Broadway um as a chorus girl dancing in in the uh, shuffle along in the in the Broadway production and she wasn't really a trained dancer she learned uh how to dance as a street dancer and she used that to her advantage so she was already in the habit of in her in a training and in her early career of finding her strengths and using them to differentiate her from other performers. Um and that's what she took along with her when she was offered the opportunity to go to Europe. Um of course, you know, when you when you put together your charm and you put together your uh you you add that to your talent, I think she was brilliant at finding a way that differentiated her from the other people out there. And it wasn't just simply because she was a black woman coming to Europe, but she was able to combine the sense of uh, sexuality with a uh, sense of a, uh, of a uh, comical lightness, and I don't think anybody was doing that before. As far as the singing, she wasn't originally a trained singer, so she, um, the singing, her singing got better over time c- because she worked at it and she took lessons. But it was really the the package, the package of pr- presenting herself as a performer. Who could combine comedy, dance, sexuality, and glamour and do it in a way that that no one else had done and do it as a black woman in Europe? Was she um was she one of the first black entertainers from
1: women entertainers from America to um uh, do
4: that, to present in Europe? Or were she? Yeah. Have- I think. If not the first, certainly the one that got the most um, um, and certainly the, the I mean, she was the the most known and the biggest, the highest paid and the most famous. I mean, she was a superstar. so i i I, I can't say she was the first because obviously, there's always going to be someone. but but we can say so in the fact that she was the most successful and iconic
1: how does how does how does her uh, life story evolve and 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 uh, I mean I don't think there's anybody in the world who doesn't know uh, Josephine Baker so mm-hmm. already I've learned a couple things about her that I didn't know and um, but I I, I'm, I don't really know sort of the denouement you know how
4: did it evolve and 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 what was the outcome well first of all you know growing up in East St. Louis she was basically homeless living on the streets eating out of garbage cans And at at the point where she was able to go off to New York, um, she she made that choice to go to New York because she knew that she wanted to uh, find a place where she could dance and make a career out of it. Um, She got a part in the chorus again. Um, She wasn't the best dancer. So, and she was also too dark to be in the front of the chorus line. So she was kind of like off on the back of the line. But she made the best out of it. And she made people laugh and she charmed people. She was charming. So she was offered the opportunity to go on a tour with a company in Europe and in Paris. And when the tour was over, it was time to go back to America. And she really didn't want to go back to the t- to America, obviously because of the way Blacks were treated. Um, so she decided to stay in Paris because she just fell in love with everything uh she finally found a place where she could feel at home and she could she was welcomed and she wasn't treated uh poorly and it was Paris and it was exotic and it was fun and she started dancing with this review and I think that she came up with this idea for a um a dance that no one had ever thought of no one ever dared to do and it was risque and it was um they call it low danse sauvage and and i think this is what most people remember her for was to, you know this frantic uh charleston type dance that she did with wearing only a tiny skirt of bananas and bare breast and it was it was it was very exotic and shocking and it was you know became a sensation so that might have been what propelled her propelled her but she eventually expanded her um, repertoire and began singing. And I I just think that her, you know, she was smart enough to know how to use that, um, her sexuality and her, her talent to propel her to the next level. And it, it came about pretty fast. Um, from there, she, you know, she started um, working in various clubs around Paris and traveling and, Eventually, she was working all over Europe and then was offered the chance to come back to America to do her show. Um, and made a stance by saying she didn't want to perform in any clubs that were segregated, which was a very bold there statement. Was that? She did not, she said she wouldn't perform in any clubs that were segregated. And at first, she you know, they would turn her down, but she was so popular at that time that they they couldn't help but to bend to her rules. And that's what kind of made it phenomenal because there weren't very many artists putting their foot down and saying, I'm not gonna perform unless you segre- uh, desegregate these clubs. Um, and I believe that that was in Miami. And then, um, you know, She was still when she came to America to perform in these clubs, it was still she was still faced with um, having to go through the kitchen and use the back doors. And sometimes she was denied um, uh, accommodations at hotels because at this point she was married to a a white man from Europe. And she, you know, even though she was had at the height of her popularity, she was still facing these struggles with um, racism in America. Um, she was eventually um, got into a really really big argument with Walter Winchell who at the time was a very famous gossip columnist um, at the Stork Club uh, in in Manhattan and um, it was said that she went to dinner that night after one of her shows with three of her friends um, two of which were from Paris and one was from Harlem and her and her Harlem friend waited for an hour and they never got their meal um she stormed out and caught the eye of grace kelly who was there dining and grace kelly stormed out and vowed never to go to the star club again in solidarity and she um wrote a um um, sorry she wrote um about walter Winchell and his decision not to support her by taking a stance and um he didn't appreciate that because he felt like he had been a um, supporter of the civil rights movement, um, and I think that she embarrassed him, and so he wrote um, a report saying that she was a communist, and people believed it because it was in the fifties, and you know, if you were called a communist in fifties, then it, it that was like her.
1: being called it, a uh...
4: they took away her American visa, so she wasn't allowed to come back to America. Um, I was
1: like being called a socialist today. It's right, something.
4: right. It was find so that, that uh, shibboleth. At, uh, yeah. um, was, and um, you know, I mean, she she made a lot of money. She was able to buy this um, huge, huge, huge um, elaborate mansion in um, in France, where she raised her rainbow tribe of um, twelve adopted children from all over the world. Um, you know, and then. Really wanted to uh, pay honor to the country that welcomed her, uh, and decided to um, ask how she could be of service in helping with the um, in the in the war. So she became a spy and started smuggling uh, intel in her sheet music uh, with invisible ink and pinning notes inside of her lingerie and. Traveling. Oh they God. knew they knew they wouldn't check inside her lingerie for, for any um any hidden messages. So it was kind of brilliant um that she was able to risk her life and and also, you know, give back to the country that gave so much to her. She was it was incredible and she was awarded um for her service. You know. Um and you know what the astonishing thing is like how long she was still able to perform. I mean, she I think her last performance was she was uh, 68 years old and she did a huge one-woman show at the Bobino Theater. And, um, and she sang like 34 songs. And, you know, I mean, in her, in her late 60s, she's just, she was just this powerhouse of woman who, who just continued to surpass herself in things that she could accomplish. Um, oh, another thing I, I really... Was, I didn't know and I, I found astonishing was that after Dr. King's assassination, his um, his widow Coretta Scott King asked her to be the leader of the um, civil rights movement. You still there, Jean? You know, I
1: am. Um, I, I thought that this problem was fixed uh, yesterday. I had my IT guy here um, and it's not. We're just going to continue because it, it's a, from an audio perspective, it's fine. But Uh, And there's no way I can uh, fix it myself right now.
4: So uh, we have no choice. I'm sorry. I just uh, can't look at the screen because it's going to give me a, a, Oh, there we go. We we don't
1: have (laughs) more time anyway. So, you know, what I want to do actually, I want to stop right here and just be in case it's going to start up again. Your life experience, I'm sure to some extent reflects hers and 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 that has to be one of the reasons why um this resonates oh i don't think so (laughs) okay well i don't mean that you were um you know eating out of garbage pails on the street (laughs) but uh, you face the challenges of being a woman in the entertainment world
4: i have definitely faced those challenges um as as any female entertainer will tell you we we have to face um we we it's hard to just from the level of getting jobs and being um represented in festivals and represented uh, culturally in New Orleans, the, the men in this town definitely have more advantages and it's and it's 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 a struggle. Um, but as as we do with in all things, we 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 make the best of what we do and without taking each other down and making sure that we lift each other up as women in the industry and and I think that's part of the reason why I always do these one woman shows because I think that there is you know just to 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 show how to support each other and how to celebrate each other and how to I I remember doing a a series in New Orleans called Woman Crush Wednesday and it was about Coming together with other women and 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 making music together and supporting each other and providing jobs for each other and just because I think a lot of times um, we don't know that we're we're working as a team and it becomes cutthroat because there's not enough jobs for everybody. And, but I'm all about supporting women and holding them up and celebrating who they are.
1: Well. And you have the talent to make that really work for, for you and for so your audience. And um, so I was thrilled to hear about uh, your choice and this performance. Um, so uh, I I'm, I'm really wanted to make sure that we gave you a little bit of play and that you make sure that you can invite people to come uh, see it. Uh, and, and I think there's almost nobody who has listened to this who doesn't want to uh, see how you portray that life that you've been describing.
4: Thank you, Jean. And please come out to see the show at the World War II Museum. Um, Josephine Baker from Prio Goddess to Siren of the French Resistance, with a script by Denise Altabello and musical direction by Harry Marone, my dear friend Harry Marone. Um, We would love to have you come out. Um, It's my first time doing a show at the World War II Museum, so that is exciting, and I can't wait.
1: I can't wait either. And hopefully, despite my um, other job here with my um, husband who's uh, recovering, um, I've I, uh, been trying to get out to a couple of things that I'm going to try very hard to get there. But um, I, I, I really honor and admire you for what you're doing and have done and certainly see your name. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not out there in Paris, but here <laughs> in Wales, I see it a lot. So I would love to
4: be in Paris <laughs> one day.
1: I know. <laughs> All right, well, a great, have a great time, a great run, and um, check back in during the life of the show. And by the way, please um, make sure that you uh, share with me um, some visuals and uh, I'll talk to you about that in just a moment when we are off our interview. So um, Anias St. John of New Orleans of music, of dance, of Jesse Baker become blast. Thank you.